Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This season, Pastor Jim will be mining the treasures of the gospel from the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Each week, Jim will walk through one of six chapters, giving around 15 minutes of reflection each day, Monday through Friday. We pray this study of the timeless truth of God's Word will equip and encourage you. If you'd like to learn more about the Village Chapel or find more resources like this one, visit thevillagechapel.com. Now here's Pastor Jim. Good day, folks. Pastor Jim Thomas from the Village Chapel here in Nashville, Tennessee with your daily devotional. We are walking through Ephesians together. We're gonna take 15 minutes each day, Monday through Friday. And uh, each week we'll take one chapter, so it'll be a six-week study. So I hope you'll get a Bible and perhaps a notebook and uh, if you wanna take some notes. And along the way, we're gonna wrestle with some of the questions that Ephesians speaks to. Questions like, who am I? What does it mean to be a human person? What does it mean to belong to God? Who is God? Um, how can we get to know God better? What does God intend for us? What has Christ done for us? And how are we to respond? The uh, seminary professor Christopher Watkin has a book called Biblical Critical Theory. The subtitle is How the Bible's Unfolding Story Makes Sense of Modern Life and Culture. And some might not think that's possible, but I think Watkin has done a great job. In it, he says, no question is as prominent or as important in our society as the question, who am I? And the Apostle Paul, coming out of the chute right here at the beginning of the book of Ephesians in verses one and two that we looked at yesterday, knew who he was. He spoke with clarity and conviction. He knew he was a, an apostle, somebody who had been chosen, called, and sent by the Lord Jesus. Um, he knew what his life purpose was to spread the gospel. And as regards the recipients of his letter, Paul recognized that his readers had two addresses, not one. He says he was writing to the saints who are in, or rather the saints who are at Ephesus, and who are in Christ Jesus. I love the way John Stott addresses, uh, in his commentary, he addresses that, um, that sort of double citizenship. He says, many of our spiritual troubles arise from our failure to remember that we are citizens of two kingdoms. We tend either to pursue Christ and withdraw from the world, or to become preoccupied with the world and forget that we are also in Christ. So two different addresses, two citizenships, if you will. And I'm the same way. You're the same way as well. I'm at Nashville. I'm Jim Thomas. I'm at Nashville, but I'm in Christ. And I heard one preacher talk about the implications of this dual citizenship. Um, and I, I believe Paul explores this in the letter to the Ephesians. What did it mean to Christ that they, the saints he's writing to, were in Ephesus. What did it mean to Jesus that he had saints there in Ephesus? And then in the last half of the letter to the Ephesians, it seems like Paul is, is turning it around a little bit, and he's asking this question. What could it mean to Ephesus that those saints are in Christ? What did it look like? And so I could ask the same thing. What does it mean uh, to Nashville that I, Jim Thomas, am in Christ? And what does it mean to Christ that I'm here in Nashville? How can I be of use to my Savior in the place that he has me at? Sinclair Ferguson, uh, in his book, Worthy, Living in Light of the Gospel, says, the grace of God in Christ provides us with a new identity, a heavenly one. 
It follows that this, and not our natural identity, determines everything we do. Our identity, our citizenship is heavenly. And certainly the Apostle Paul would agree. Our primary citizenship is in Christ. And so here in Ephesians, first three chapters about our beliefs. The second half of the book, chapters four, five, and six, more about behavior, Christian behavior. So what do we believe? How do we behave? The first half of the book, doctrine. The second half of the book, practice. First half of the book, indicatives. Here's what's true. And the second half of the book, imperatives. Here's how you live that out. Um, the first half of the book, the riches that we have in Christ. The second half of the book, the walk that we are to have in Christ as we live in union with Christ. Um, the first half of the book, what Christ has done for us on our behalf. The second half of the book, our responses to that. So as we move now from verses 1 and 2 into verses 3 through 14, um, i got to tell you in advance, it is one giant long run-on sentence. The Apostle Paul was so good at this. Some of you are fans of C.S. Lewis. He's good of, good at that as well. Seems like a lot of these really smart guys uh, know how to know how to go for a long, long time and, and uh, not take a breath as they're, as they're uh, writing. So in, in today's installment, just for 15 minutes, I want us to look at verses three through six. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what, it, what, the, what the role of the Father, God the Father is. Because um, uh, Ephesians is also quite Trinitarian in its presentation of, uh, of the God, who, the God of the Bible. And the word Trinity, I know it doesn't show up anywhere in the Bible, but God is presented over and over and over again as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And here in this one chapter, we have all three mentioned. Um, verses three to six, the Father choosing and calling us. Verses seven through 12, the Son saving and redeeming us. Um, verses 13 and 14, the Spirit sanctifying and sealing us. And so for just a couple more minutes here, let's take a look at what it means that God is our Father. This is such a rich, and, and perhaps in some ways, verse three and four could be a summary uh, of the entire, uh, an introduction and summary of the entire contents of the rest of Ephesians. Take a look at it with me, if you will. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Remember that phrase, in Christ, shows up, I think I said uh, that we counted up 21 sometimes, if you take in Christ, in him, in whom, all of those, you add them together, and just in Ephesians alone, 21 of those, and in chapter 10, or chapter one rather, 10 of those occurrences, just in chapter one alone. So you know he's really driving that home. Your identity is in Christ. Your primary citizenship is in Christ. And here he mentions it right here, uh, not only in verse two as we, uh, as we began, verse one, verse two, and verse three, there's all that inference that you are united with Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse four, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. This is, you know, I, I, I don't think I can put enough emotion into this. There are some theologians say that this should have been set to epic music scores and it should be sung, you know, that this uh, verses three through 14 especially should just be a, a, a massive epic score talking about God the Father choosing us and calling us, talking about the saving and redeeming work of the Son and the sanctifying and sealing work of the Spirit. So powerful, it really is. But let's let's explore it just for a couple of minutes together here today, The especially the part about God the Father. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Now, what he's saying there is that there is a reality behind the sensory uh, reality that we have in this world. There's a reality behind it all. And in the heavenly places, Christ has blessed us. We have been blessed in Christ. And God the Father is the one who's doing this. He's God the Fa- He's our Father, but He's also the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we know that when Jesus walked the planet, He constantly referred to God as Father. He taught the apostles, or the disciples rather, when He taught them to pray um, there in Matthew uh, chapter 6, over and over and over again. He taught them to use the, the, the title Father when they were talking about God the Father. And it's just really beautiful. That would have been a concept that would have been un, kind of very uncommon to Jews of that day and that time. Um, the idea that we could be sons and daughters of God is so profound and so uh, mind-blowing, eye-popping, heart-thumping, that it really ought to change the way we look at each and every day. Before your feet hit the floor, it's a great thing to remind yourself of. God is your father. You are his child. You're not just a part of his creation that he owns, just property. He's got his eye on you as his son and his daughter, and that is amazing. That truly is a, a blessing. Now, he's uh, blessing is uh, blessed is one of those kinds of words that's used in all kinds of different directions. Here, it's it's he's exclaiming, "Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us." And so, there's blessings going up to God, and there's blessings uh, for the blessings that are coming down to us. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It's like a a blessing fest. It's blessing anorama here in in this particular sec- segment of Ephesians chapter one. And, uh, and God the Father is the one that is blessing us. And he's blessing us in Christ Jesus. He's choosing us, verse 4 says, just as he chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. That is, he's had his eye on you for a long, long time. Before the foundation of the world. Can you imagine that? Knowing everything that God knows about me. Everything that God knows about you, and yet God still chooses us. He still chose us before the foundation of the world. I mean, to be fully known and still chosen by God, this is mind-blowing. This is humbling. Um, This is not cause for somebody to become arrogant or boastful or to become elitist. This is incredibly humbling, uh, especially the more I come to know what a sinner I am, how I have 
rebelled against God so many times and uh, not walked in his ways or in his wisdom, not loved my neighbor as myself. And yet God still chose me, still chose you who have who belong to him. This is so powerful. He chose us in him, in Christ, before the foundation of the world. And he chose us for a reason, that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, if you ever wanted to know what God's will for your life is, there it is, stated plainly. And most of us are busy going, what? I want to know what God's will for me is as it relates to whom big things in life, who I'm supposed to marry, where I'm supposed to live, where I'm supposed to work, what school I'm supposed to go to. And we have this all of these categories that we would consider to be high value categories. And yet the Apostle Paul and inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this to us, to remind us what categories are really important, that we would live for his glory, that we would be transformed to the praise of Jesus and that we would be holy and blameless before him. And then he goes on, he keeps going, in love he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will. And that last little sentence, according to the kind intention of his will, it's not according to my goodness or your goodness. It's not, it's not something that we did that in some way um, uh, made, made God Oh, choose us and select us out of the herd because, oh my goodness, wouldn't I be lucky, God says, to have Jim on my... No, that's not it at all. Even with the children of Israel, he didn't choose Israel uh, because of anything in Israel. He chose him because of the great love that's in his own heart. And that is amazing. If God loves you based on some value that you have or some performance measure of yours, that's, you're gonna, that's gonna undulate, that's gonna come and go and you're gonna lose his love and, and try to earn it back and lose it again and try to earn it. That's not what the Apostle Paul is saying is going on here. No, he chose us according to the kind intention of his will. Do you realize how, how that just sets us free to relax and rest in the love of God? Ah, oh, get this into your head. He adopts you as his son or his daughter based on the kind intention of his will. He lavishes you with his love and his grace and his mercy, and he adopts you as, this is just so mind-blowing, to the praise of his glory, of his grace. See, and there it is again, too. We, we see one of the unique things about the Christian faith. The grace of God has come to us. God is always the initiator. We're always the responders. And it's God's, the, the, the glory of his grace and the kindness of his intentions that have, it, it, and, and his, his love that motivated him to come to the, and lay his life down at the cross. And verse six, which says, what, under what conditions all of this is yours and is mine today as we get ready to, to start our day. It says it right here, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved, capital B there, that, mean, that meaning God the Father freely bestowed his grace upon us in the, in the beloved, in Christ. Oh, there's just so much. I, 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 I can't go into it all, but I, I know some of you might have questions about the doctrine of election and predestination. And just three things real quick. Um, it's, it's, 
you have to understand, Paul's making it really clear here, and he, as he does in Romans chapter 9 as well, the doctrine of election is a divine revelation. It's not a human speculation. In other words, it didn't begin with John Calvin. It didn't even begin with Augustine all the way back um, or any human theologian. This is something that God is saying to us. I've chosen you freely, sovereign grace, chosen you because I've set my love on you, and that's wonderful. Secondly, the doctrine of election is an incentive to holiness, not an excuse for sin. Um, it's in order that we may be holy and blameless in him. F.F. Bruce says the predestinating love of God is commended more by those who lead holy and Christ-like lives than by those whose attempts to unravel the mystery partake of the nature of logic jumping. So trying to figure this out instead of just Oh, falling into his grace and just resting and trusting in his love and his choice of you instead of your choice of him or your performance in some way trying to measure up to something. Thirdly, the doctrine of election is a stimulus to humility, not a ground for boasting. There's no room for arrogance in the doctrine of election and predestination. Only if God had chosen us, not because we somehow deserved it. He chose us simply because he loves us. It's his heart to do that. And the reason is in himself. The reason is not in us. The reason he chose us. When properly understood, the doctrine of election should lead us to holiness, to humility, and to gratitude. Um, and don't, don't miss this. This is, this is the big important part of this morning's devotion. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, it is in response to God having chosen, called, and adopted you as his son or daughter. Again, he's always the initiator. We're always the responders. J.I. Packer says it this way, what is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer I know is that a Christian is one who has God as their father. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Heavenly Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven in our lives, Lord, just as it most perfectly is uh, in the heavenly realm as well. Come now, Lord, and as we uh, walk through this day, may we walk with you as our Father. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our TVC Resources newsletter or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter. At The Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.